Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hi, it's your girl Kads. It's Adar. And you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood podcast. Welcome back, friends. So, you know, this week, I always say this week is a special episode, but I really mean it this time, okay? Every week is a special episode, so I'm, I'm going to stop saying that. Um, but this week's uh, episode is it's an important conversation. The guest in- does incredible, credible way of storytelling her story. Just relax, put your ears in, and please do not be driving. Uh, trigger warning, uh, this episode has strong language, uh, conversations about sexual assault as well as suicide. So our next guest, um, his name is Sabrine. Sabrine actually really isn't her real name. It's the name of her fake Insta she had um, in high school. Sabrine uses that that name to actually identify herself on this podcast um, to kind of mark um, the story that she's going to tell. So Sabrine is actually the name that I used to use for myself and my social media accounts when I was going through this era of a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of stuff just happening to me. And and I used that name as a sort of, you know, alias for myself. And recently, like within the last year or so, I changed the name. I got out of that era so since I'm recording this track today and telling, talking about my story, I wanted to go back to that era and use this alias Sabrina so that I could, you know, accurately portray everything that happened in that era. To set the scene, Sabrina grew up in Minnesota. She's a smart girl that grew up in Minnesota, grew up as an only child. Um, she had two um, half siblings, but she never really grew up with them. But she did have a lot of love and, and life around her she had her nephews and nieces as well as her cousins as I said like I used to be an avid reader when I was younger so most of my childhood was spent with my nose buried in a book like I would go to the library every week or so pick up a bunch of books finish them all in that week and then bring it back everybody like in my family was shocked like how do you get through that many books so fast like <laughs> calm down maybe some spend some time outside maybe <laughs> go have a, a fun day with your friends but I like my own solitude more than I like the company of somebody else. So I don't think I ever yearned for a sibling, um, mostly because I still had all the good parts of having a sibling, if that makes sense. Like, I still had that companionship. I still had that quality time spent with family members. Like, I still had everything that I wanted. When you're an only child, you kind of got to figure things out yourself, right? You don't have an older sister to talk to about boys or to talk about, you know, yourself or your, some of the questions you might be confused about or be maybe too afraid to ask your parents. In this case, Sabrina obviously is an only child. Who is she going to talk to? Who is she going to seek counsel from? And in her mind, she kind of had to fend for herself. She kind of had to figure things out herself. And that's what she did. And every single problem that I ever had, it was figure it out yourself before you speak of it. It's hard, though, because there's moments where it's like you should have talked to this, should have talked about this to somebody else. You should have um, unloaded your problems to somebody else and let somebody else help you. But I did not grow up um, doing that. So how can I flip a switch and do that all of a sudden? But yeah, definitely. Did you ever have a conversation about boys with your parents? Did that ever conversation oh. ever happen? Oh, absolutely not. The only <laughs> the only conversation I had with boys oh. about with my mother was. Um, you're not getting married until you graduate um, grad mm. school. And I said, you know what? I completely agree with you. Mm. And that was the end of the conversation. Yeah, with <laughs> That's that much it. I, it's always, it's always like, I think what, uh, the thing, this is the thing about like grow, uh, growing up in a Somali household, anything that's a taboo, they're not having mm-hmm. that conversation. Right, just in you know? at least just enough for you to know, don't do it. Like, you know what I exactly, mean? Like, that's don't. That's it. it. All I'm going to talk about this is that you cannot participate in it. I'm not going to tell you why. I'm not going to tell you that I understand you. I'm not going to tell you my experiences. I'm not going to give you no context. It's no. And so, Point blank period. And, it, and it can be problematic, especially given the fact that you're going to school and you're learning what's cool and everyone around you is doing it. And it seems like it's normal. And then you're going home and it's like kind of forbidden. You're like, I don't understand the content you know what I mean you don't understand the why exactly. and so you find yourself again with no information no understanding and just kind of left for yourself to figure out yeah especially in growing up in a, in a well I can speak for myself as a my household um I my mom was actually very in my case my mom was very candid about like no like she would tell me no in different ways <laughs> like instead of saying like oh that. this is why just no in different ways and I just uh, she still a lot of fear in me, and so I think that's what kind of like 
like I, I, I operate from a place of fear. And so, um, but yeah, conversations are not being had in wholesome, especially from daughter to mother and daughter, right? Um, where it's important to have. So do you think that it impacted you anyway? Like the fact, the lack of? Honestly, I think now that you mention it, I think that was the one thing that I lacked not from not having an older sister was there was nobody there to tell me don't do that with a guy or don't talk to that guy or don't do this or don't do that. There was, and because there was no information coming from, you know, a parental side, it was also like, I just do whatever I feel like doing because there's nobody here to tell me not to do it, if that makes sense. I was kind of just navigating through life on my own, figuring out what's right and what's wrong on my own. And honestly, I made mistakes and I do wish that I had somebody there to tell me not to make those mistakes, but you know, Mistakes are mistakes happen for a reason, you know. They're there for us to learn about, which I can't say I regret too much. But mm-hmm. well, they make us the people that we are. Um, exactly. And uh, yes. and everything happens by the will of Allah. And I agree. Like especially being an eldest daughter, like you, you the your role is to figure things out. You're kind of like a guinea pig, you know, in some instances exactly. because That's you don't. Really what it was. It, you so. feel like one, and you technically are one because of the lack of anything. You're just told to figure out whether that be in figuring out school or your life or relationships, or your body or anything. You're just you're just you're just meant to figure. And I there, I don't like to cast blame anywhere. I think it's just the reality of being a first generation. Um, our parents were were trying to figure out many things on their shoulders, um, and uh, and and they were already spread out thin in some cases. In a lot of cases, actually, it, it was a tough experience. You can imagine a lot of us, a lot of us learned because we experienced. Does that make sense? That um, makes sense, and, honestly. Yeah. And I'm glad that I'm there for you know the not the younger generation, but the younger generation in my family. I'm glad I'm there for them, and I'm able to tell them, hey, I did this when I was your age. I regretted it. Please don't do that. And they won't do it and they won't experience the same mistakes that I made, but they'll still learn the same lessons that I did only because I'm there. My story starts when I was 15. Um, I wouldn't say that's when my innocence ended, but that's when the downfall began. Um, when I was 15, yeah, I was in high school. I met this guy. He was in the same high school as me. He was the grade above me. I think he was either 17 turning 18 or already 18. I'm not sure. Yeah, we were good friends. We were, you know, whenever we, whenever we saw each other in the hallway, we'd say hi. We were talking in class, um, talking on Snap, that kind of stuff. Like, we were just, you know, regular friends. It escalated very, very quickly um, where it, started from a point of hey this guy's interested in me I kind of have a crush on him it wouldn't be too bad to like I don't know maybe date him or something like that but it was also like I was keeping my distance because still he was much older than me obviously I was a minor and he was not and I knew in the back of my head that I should have kept my distance but I didn't because you know how young girls are when the guy that they like finally starts paying attention to them they'll go to the ends of the earth for that guy you know how it is especially when there's no one else telling them, oh, don't do that. Um, So at this point, we were good friends. I think I was a soft, I want to say I was a junior. I was a junior in high school and we were still good friends. And then one day um, I was walking in the hallways and I think just during class, I think I was going to the bathroom or something. So the hallways were empty and I saw him come around the corner and um, we, you know, we just said hi, you know, just talking for a minute, just chatting no big deal and then he looks around out of nowhere he grabs me and he kisses me and I freak out obviously I just kind of like push him away and I'm like what the hell and I run back to class I run back to my friend and then I'm just like oh my god so and so just kissed me and she looks at me with like a look of astonishment and like surprise but like happy surprise like good surprise because I had told her hey I really really like this guy so I wasn't Like, this is the reaction that she should have had, you know? So because of her reaction, I was like, wait, maybe this is a good thing. Like, maybe this is what I wanted. So I just said, okay, whatever this happened, let's just move on. Sometimes you might experience something and it feels naturally wrong, right? But then you go to friends or you, you know, look it up and you start to be told that, no, what you felt was right. 
Like a guy is supposed to like you, he's supposed to touch you, you're supposed to be um, at his reach because that's what love looks like. That's what, you know, the, you know, all of the teen movies on television tell you. But you can't ignore the fact that it felt wrong at first. But then you share it and then somebody tells you, no, it's, it's fine. And so you, you go along with it. Go, Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I am overthinking this. Maybe this is fine. This is what all of us want. But that's where we're wrong. It kept happening again and again and again. And it would escalate each and every time that it happened. But along with the the physical aspect of it, that was ex- um, accelerating. And also the fear in me was also accelerating to a point where I, like... This I was I was just, I was afraid to say no. Yes, I said yes in the beginning, but as time went on and as more and more things happened, I started to realize this guy is older than me. He's stronger than me. He's bigger than me. He has a bigger reputation than me. He's well loved in the community, well loved in the school. The guys in the school, everybody in the school hangs on to his every last word. I have to do everything that he tells me to do or else I'm finished. I was genuinely afraid for my life because I knew that if I said no at any point or if I rejected him at any point, he would slander my name to everybody in the school. You know, at that age, you know, when you're in high school, you're kind of worried about reputation and what your friends think of you or what strangers think of you. And you never want to be known as that type of girl. And I knew that. That's why I didn't want him to say anything. So every time he said, um, come outside, come into the hallway or stay after school, come get in my car or um, go to the library and I'm going to pick you up from there. Every single time that that type of things happen, I just said yes. Reputation is such a very it's, it's, especially for, you know, Somali community, reputation and honor is really at the hands of men and how they describe your honor and reputation, right? If he says something about you, then it's taken as truthful, right? Even though our religion tells us that anybody were to slander somebody's honor, you're in trouble. You can never do that. You can never dishonor somebody. But in society today, we're at the mercy of man because if he says something, it's taken as truthful, and if you say something, you're going to be called a liar. And so what's better is just to hide, you know, look down and just deal. That's what we're told. Just deal. Because that's better than when it comes out and you're forever tainted as the that girl. And there's no coming back from it. There's no coming back from it. That's what we're left with. Those are the decisions. It's just keep your head down and just deal with it and don't tell anybody or come out with it and your reputation. You you came out with it telling the truth, but you're going to be you're going to deal with the consequences, not him, even though you were you were done wrong. I want to say fall 2016, we were definitely friends at this time, talking at this time. It was around winter 2016 where it was when it first like the physical stuff first started. Um, I have a question for you. Was there um a time where you were like, yo, this guy is not to be trusted? Was there a particular moment where you're like, yo, I'm in I'm in I'm in some waters with some guy that does not care about that doesn't genuinely does not because in the beginning where right, you thought he was a nice dude, right? You liked him. Um, and you thought he was I'm sure kind and then something switched off, right? And you mm-hmm. saw you clearly saw something. I don't know if it's something you observed or something he said or something you know that you found out. Do you remember what that was that kind of changed how you felt about this individual and that you felt like your life was kind of because I believe you, you know? And so there must have been a, like a moment where you're like, oh, this is I'm, I'm like it could be a slander. It could be, you know, but what was yeah. a moment you were like, yo, this guy's actually I'm, I'm very concerned for myself. He's not what Honestly, I thought he was. Right in the beginning. It happened that I, I felt that moment right in the beginning, and I felt that moment at the very, very end, too. And I can talk about both. Mm-hmm. Um, in the very beginning, there was this time where it was another instance of him, like, catching me in the hallway. But this time, 
um, he watched me um, go into class. And this was right after the bell rang. So everybody had to be in class. He watched me go in and he texted me like five minutes later. Hey, I'm still in the hallway. Come outside. And I was in class, like we was about to start an exam. So obviously I did not like want to leave. So I just put my phone away, but my phone kept going off. So I check it again. And then he's like blowing up my phone saying, come outside, come outside, come outside. And then I'm like, well, this is another one of those times where if I don't do what he says, I'm going to regret it. So I told my teacher, hey, I need to go use the bathroom really quickly. I'll be back in two seconds. So I left. We went into the hallway. He took me into um, the theater room. Um, there's this big stage and like curtains and everything and we were in there and I don't want to get too into the details of what we did because it's still you know very traumatizing and very just a yucky feeling to talk about but I'm sure you can imagine what went down what happened was somebody came in and we, I didn't expect that because, you know, that door was locked. We came in through another entrance. So I was surprised to see that door was being unlocked. You know, the only person that can unlock it is administration because they're the only ones that had keys. So I knew that it was somebody from the administration that was there. So I kind of peeked behind the curtain in a place where whoever was coming in from the door could not see me. And I saw that it was the principal of the school. And I wanted to run. I wanted to run out of that place but I knew that if I ran that he would see me and he would find me and he'd make me tell him everything and obviously I didn't want that to happen so I just kind of backed up into a corner um the guy he stayed where he was sitting he stayed there and we kind of just stood there in like com complete silence waiting for that door to close and for the principal to go away and finally it did close he did go away and that's when I realized what would happen to me if administration or if another student found out like forget about if this guy runs his mouth what about if somebody who doesn't who isn't supposed to know finds out what will they say I know for sure they'll have no care for my character they have no care for what will happen to me they just want a new like a little good rumor to spread around they just want a little tidbit of information to run, go run their mouth with and that's when I realized that that would be a much worse like um What's the word? That would be a much worse consequence than if this guy goes and tells his friends about what he's doing. And that was the first time where I realized that I could be in a lot of danger because, you know, if administration finds out, the next people that are going to find out is your family. And I was not ready to deal with that level of embarrassment and shame, especially when there is no way that my family or anybody else would believe that what was happening to me was assault. Because let's be honest, yes, I did say yes in the beginning, but it very quickly became a situation where I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. But the only reason I'm saying yes is because I'm scared of what the repercussions will be. It was coercion. It was he groomed me. It was manipulation. I was not in my right mind when I was saying yes to everything that he asked me to do. I wanted to say no so badly, but I was just too scared of what he could physically do he could fist if he wanted to physically harm me he could he had that strength in him and i was i'm not someone like i can't say that i'm like someone that's weak but i there's no woman that has the physical strength to compete with a man two three times her size so i said that there's no way that i'm gonna let the public find out and shame me for it and embarrass me like and, and humiliate myself because no one will understand what's happening to me no one will understand that I didn't want this they'll think that I chose to do this they'll think that I wanted this to happen when in reality it was survival it wasn't me choosing to go and do these things with a boy that I liked it was me being forced to do this stuff in fear of what will happen to me if I say no and I feel like that's something that happens with so many young girls where this type of thing will happen to them. They'll think, oh, I just regretted it. No, love, you didn't regret it. It was it was assault. It was sexual assault. Just because you said yes doesn't mean it was consent. Consent has to be full, fully like wanting to do this. You did not want to do it. It was you being coerced, it was you being groomed over a period of however many years, months, however, however long that guy was your quote-unquote friend. And 
I wish I had known that at that time, but I didn't. I just thought that everybody was going to say that I wanted it when I didn't. So I was scared of everybody else finding out. And when the opportunity presented itself for the principal to find out, I was like, no, this is like, I've really, really gotten myself into deep waters and I need to get away. So basically, grooming is basically when somebody is manipulating you to feel, to think, to, to say a certain thing and to accept that what they're doing to you, right? And grooming takes time and it happens to young women, young minds, right? Where they can be coerced and they can be backed into a corner and they can, you know, be left that way. And so when you're groomed, you want to be a subservient of the person. So you want to please the person because you, you don't know how to, you know, be any other way. And so and it happens slowly and it happens gradually, right? Um, and and both parties have to be at different levels in terms of this in case age, um, maturity, experience. Um, and people have a hard time understanding like grooming, right? Even our justice system doesn't accept grooming, right? For young minds. They'll say, mm, you know what I mean? Because if the if the material, if the stuff that they did is it requires intelligence and consent and you know, they'll say, how could you be groomed this way? And you were just such a willing participant. You were a vocal participant. Reality is, is that grooming is is evident and grooming is, is truthful. And grooming is, is the reality. That's exactly what happened. And it's a, a valid, you know, just a viable reason. You know what I'm saying? Um, but people, a lot of people don't see it that way. I think the end of March 30th is when I had physical evidence of what was going on so like bruises and stuff um mostly from when he would just grab me and I had taken a video of it and I still have it in my camera roll somewhere but I don't think I've looked at it in so long because it's very traumatizing I even had to like wear like specific clothing around the house like I had to wear literally a sweatshirt at home to cover it because, you know, usually I'm at home in Bati, but I had to, swear, had to wear a sweatshirt until the bruise went away because I didn't want people seeing it and asking me, so where'd you get the bruise from? Because I could not lie. I did not know how to lie. Um, so in the entire entirety of 2017 is when that's the year that the bulk of the assault happened. I don't want to get too into the nitty gritty details, but genuinely i think that that's within that year period of between that first kiss and the time i finally told him to get away from me and never speak to me again um we did everything short of sex basically and this happened multiple times i want to say about 10 or so separate events of him like catching me or telling me to come outside or telling me to um, pop out or anything like that and, you know, at this point, I was fully groomed, I was brainwashed, but I was still extremely nauseous and terrified, like petrified every single day. But I didn't understand why. Sometimes when you're a young woman, or just being a woman in general, or a girl, you feel like you're at the mercy of people. Especially when you feel like something's at cost, right? Like we're told that um, when a guy comes approaches you and he tells you that, you know, he likes you and he's like doing his thing that, you know, if you're going to reject him, reject him nicely or else you're in jeopardy, like you're in trouble. And so we're always at a state of perpetual fear because we recognize the dynamics, right? He's this man is bigger and stronger and we're, you know, at his mercy. And so sometimes we choose the choice that's safer, what we think is safer. Um, in reality, you know, we find out that it's not safer. We're just stuck. We're stuck. And until you have a breaking moment, you say, I'm not stuck. Any- I can't do this anymore. I can't do this to myself no more. And you make, you make, the, you make the call that feels like it's going to end everything. I remember a specific day, actually, m- many months later, I think six months later, I think I hit my breaking point. I had gone to the library and I was just I genuinely just got to the library I was just wanting to do homework I went by myself and I kind of just posted it on my story and he saw it and swiped up and told me hey I'm near the area I'm gonna be outside in 10 minutes and I 
Like when I tell you my, I don't want to curse or nothing, but when I tell you my heart fell out of my ass, like I think that was the first panic attack that I ever, ever had in my life. And at the time I didn't know that it was a panic attack, but I was panicking so badly. And you know, when you're panicking like that, it's no longer, a, oh, I'm scared. Oh, I don't want this to happen. Oh, it's it's more like, oh, I'm going to die if this doesn't end right now. Like my heart feels like it's about to fall out of my chest and there's not a single thing that I can do to stop it. I just have to go through with it. I do not wish that level of fear on not even my worst enemy because that is a like a life or death type of fear. It's not a everyday like, oh, I'm scared of this thing. I'm scared of that thing. It's like, if I don't get myself out of the situation, I will die. And there's no logic behind it. There's no reasoning. There's no, oh, this is just one thing that's going to happen. It's going to go, it's, you're going to get over it. Like, it's like death is staring you in your eyes. And honestly, it was frightening. And I think that's what, you know, flipped the switch for me and made me realize that this is, this is not what I want. Like, this is like no type of, no type of repercussions would be worth this, if that makes sense. And he picked me up. We went to this, like, I don't even remember where we went to. That memory is blocked from my mind. Um, and when he was bringing me back to the library after everything, after he had gotten out of me what he wanted, he took me back to the library and I had left my belongings, like my laptop, my backpack. I had left it in the room that I was staying because I thought I was going to be going out and coming back in 10 minutes, but I had come back like an hour later. When I realized that my belongings are missing from the room that I was in, I was like, I know I did not just lose all my things just to meet up with a guy that I don't even want to be meeting up with. And it was something so insignificant, but it really just flipped a switch in my head where I was like, this cannot continue any longer. I don't care at all what happens to me. I will not be putting myself through this level of pain anymore because no amount of shame like public shame no amount of everybody knowing my business is going to be worth what he's doing to me and you know what I was right afterwards he did tell his friends he did slander my name and honestly yes I cried about it a while when I knew that everybody around me was talking about me but it was still worth it I would never ever put myself I would never like, I don't want to say put myself in that situation, but I would never switch spots. Like I would never say, oh, oh, I'd rather have all that stuff happen to me than have my name slandered. Sabrine finally had enough. She couldn't do anymore. She couldn't hurt herself this way anymore. And so she had decided that she wasn't going to do this. Unfortunately, her worst nightmare still happened. I want to say the end of 2017, this is when I had to physically fight him off of me with whatever meebles, whatever feeble strength that I had. This was after the, that one library day. Um, he had, that's when I, the day that I decided I can't continue this anymore. I mean, I had blocked him on socials, but what can that do when you still see this person five days a week in school? So this day, he came up to me asking me, oh, why did you block me? Why are you not speaking to me? And I said, I just like, please stop. Please leave me alone. I don't want to do this anymore. And then he was like, what are you talking about? Like, I know you want this. And he grabbed me and he tried to kiss me again and pushed me up against the wall and held me against the wall, like grabbed both of my wrists and would not let me go. And he had both of my wrists in one hand and I could not fight him off. And I just... I tried everything that I could. I tried to turn my head. I tried to, I don't know, disappear into the wall. I tried to move away. I tried to do something and nothing I did worked. And finally, when he let go of me for a split second, I told him, if you don't let go of me right now, I'm going to start screaming and everybody's going to come out into these hallways. And then he looked at me with like a look of disgust and finally let me go. And... That's insane. Damn. And these were like public and school then, hallways, right? What was that? These were like public school hallways, and there was like nobody walking in the hallway. There was nobody walking in the hallway. Like and nobody could I, see you. Any, like there was nobody walking in the hallway, but there could have been. I, I'm shocked that in all, in, at all those times, there was not a single person that was in the hallway coincidentally the same time as us. Like, 
how like you you know kids they're always skipping class there's always going to be somebody in the hallways but every single time I saw him there was nobody in the hallways and I had just I wish I wish somebody had seen that last time because that would have been that would have been validating you know that would have that would have been like oh somebody else is seeing what's happening to me it's not just all in my head but as crazy as it sounds nobody saw mm-hmm and and it and it makes it more isolating because Extreme. you're experiencing this what feels like which is public but feels very private right um and it, you're in your own head and who who's gonna who are you going to who's what do you have to tell somebody this is this is how here's where it happened you know in these public and that's the thing about these things that people find so hard or they like to poke holes in is that well nobody saw it happen Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody saw that. I nobody. No proof. We couldn't tell on you. You didn't look sad. You didn't. We didn't see any bruises. You know what I'm saying? Like, are you sure that happened? Are you sure it's not all in your head? Right. And so, it's it's it's. It, and when you're not validated like that, like by all these concrete evidences, you know, time it. You just feel like okay, this is so wild. Really you know, like head. this is so far fetched that like I'm actually being assaulted in school. In the middle of the hallway. And nobody sees. Like, girl, there's cameras in the halls. Yeah. Like, there's cameras in the halls. Like, anybody, if the administration had been doing their job and checking the cameras like they should have been, mm-hmm. even on a, not even on a daily basis, but a monthly basis, like, mm-hmm. that's how long it was. Like, I'm telling you, this stuff was happening for a long period of time. And the fact that nobody knew until he told somebody about it until he told his friends about it and his friends told others and that's when everything got out mm-hmm. the fact that nobody and still even when he told his friends from a guy's point of view he it was she wanted it yeah he told his side he told his side and so i never ever ever got a chance to tell my side i never ever got a chance to tell my story because it was ingrained into everybody's head she wanted it. Mm-hmm. And how am I supposed to fight against that? Especially when there's no proof. Especially when from, from his side, his from, from from his point of view, it I did say yes. So. And he controlled the narrative. And he, absolutely. He ended up telling his friends the nature of their relationship. And Sabrine went into a cold silence. They always say uh, to people who, you know, experience this, they'll say, well, why didn't you speak up when it happened? Right. Why did you wait a year? Why did you take so long to kind of invalidate what happened to them? But trauma, this this it's not easy to ingest. It's not easy to speak about the thing that changed you forever. Sabrina felt a cold of silence. She couldn't speak. She couldn't tell anyone. She was too afraid to. Who would believe her? He's already shared his side of the story. Who's going to believe hers? I didn't open my mouth about it until the end of 2018. For a year, I did not talk to anybody about how I felt. I didn't talk to anybody about what happened. I didn't talk to anybody about what he did to me. I didn't. I was the picture of happiness and happy-go-lucky. I, I was just minding my business. I was just doing my thing. I was acting like I was not phased at all when... That year after it ended and before I started talking about it, that was single-handedly the worst year of my life. And now I I don't want to trigger our reader, our listeners or anything, but I tried to commit. I think... I think once or twice. You know how Mm -hmm. sometimes those things are just blocked from your memory. You don't... Like, I wish I could remember the details, but it's just, it's blocked. There's no, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to be able to tap into it and tell mm-hmm. details. There's some things that are so traumatic, it's burned into my brain and I will never forget it for as long as I live. And there are other things where it's like a blank canvas where all I can remember is that it happened, but I can't remember any details. Yeah. What I do remember is that every single day for about six months or so, I was not... I was not praying. I was not making dua. I was not going to sleep reading a cat. I was not doing a single thing that made me worthy of being a Muslim because I was like, I did all this. There is no way that I'm worthy of anything because Mm 
you know, of that feeling of shame, of that feeling of embarrassment, of like, how can I repent? How can I plead to Allah for forgiveness or for even relief from pain when this is what I did, when this disgusting thing and is what I did? And that was also the the point where I was absolutely blaming myself and telling myself, you put yourself in this position. You did this to yourself. You have nobody to blame but yourself. If you had just said no in the beginning, none of this would have happened to you. If you had just fought back a little bit harder, this would have happened to you. You had so many chances to say no and you didn't. This is your fault. So I was not asking for forgiveness. I was not asking for help. I was not asking for anything. I was like, if I die tonight, I would be so happy. And that's exactly what I did. Every single night for months the only dua that I made before I went to sleep was please don't let me wake up in the morning and that was the only thing that I wanted because I did not have the strength to like fully go through and do something that would absolutely like without a doubt end my life I also did not have access to anything that would without a doubt end my life I also knew that if I did that to myself the people around me would never never recover from it my family that I'm so impossibly close to would blame themselves they would never recover from it my friends who were around me when it was happening who knew it was going on didn't know how I felt but knew it was going on would blame themselves and I couldn't live with that fact because I was like what if put myself in their shoes if a friend of mine or if a family member of mine did that to themselves, for the rest of my life, I would blame myself. And there would, no, there would be nobody that could tell me that it wasn't my fault. Because that's just, ugh, that's just the level of care that the people around me had for me. That if they had known what was going on, if they... <sighs> Sorry, I'm just... Yeah, no, you know, yeah, no. Would you say that what saved you was of recognizing the love that you had in your life and recognizing the people that love you so much would not recover but it wasn't just for yourself but because you love these people and yes. you didn't want them to do that to themselves right you didn't the want only, them to uh i knew to the, only, the blame. only reason why i didn't go through with it all the way was because i knew that the people around me would never recover mm-hmm but that didn't stop me from wishing for it every single night mm-hmm. that didn't stop me from wanting to step in front of a car that didn't stop me from wanting to accidentally fall off um a ledge that didn't want that didn't stop me from putting myself in the way of danger i was hoping and praying and wishing for months that something would happen to me so that i could be relieved from the pain and also the people around me would not blame themselves because it was an accident mm-hmm it was a very, very, very dark time, and I regret not talking to the people around me about it. I regret not telling somebody how I felt. And the only reason why I didn't talk, talk is because of that shame, first of all. And second of all, when I first started realizing what had happened to me, this was like January 2018, um, I had started realizing, hey, maybe I think I've been, I was started um, trying to ask myself questions like, did you get, did you get assaulted? Did you get raped? What happened to you? Because you, that would, none of that was consensual. So what happened to you? And I kept asking myself that and I didn't have an answer for myself because I had never been exposed to this type of thing. There has, there was never, like right now in the Somali community, there is you know, the topic of sexual assault is not something that people tend to shy away from. Like, thankfully, thankfully, we have progressed past that point where people are able to talk to tell their stories without facing shame or anything like that. But even as early as 2018, like that wasn't a thing, you know. So I remember I this was the first first time that I ever opened my mouth about it. I was talking to one of my friends. She was my best, best friend at the time. Um, like literally we were attached at the hip. Like I went to this girl with every single problem that I had and she would help me solve it type thing. I messaged her and I told her, I think I got raped. And she told me that rape is a strong word. And that just, 
shocked me into silence. It shocked me into silence, really. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe that's just one reaction. I tried again. I told one of one of my guy friends at the time. I think he was either my friend. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, we were friends at that time. And I told him um, again, hey, I think I got raped by so-and-so. And then the first question he asked me was, but did the nigga fuck you though? So his only concern was, is she tarnished? Did she, is she like not a virgin anymore? Is she like garbage to me? Like, should I not even go for this girl anymore? That's all he was worried about. And that was the second response I got. But I tried again because I was like, this cannot be the responses that I'm getting. I tried one more time and I went to one of my other other friends and I asked her, hey, um, I think something happened to me. Something happened with so-and-so that I wasn't really comfortable with. Like, I don't know what's going on. Can I talk to you about it? Because I feel like some, I feel like something's not right. And she was like, what are you talking about, girl? This is the guy that you've been crushing on for how long? Like, I support this relationship. Like, I want you guys to be together. Like, this is your guy. Like, what are you talking about? And from that point on, I was like, if the people that are closest to me in my life are not believing me and are telling me, are not validating me, me at all, who the hell is going to? Who the hell is going to believe me? Who the hell is going to support me if the people that are closest to me are doing the complete fucking opposite? Imagine you finally muster up the courage to tell somebody that something happened to you, to people that you love. And then they turn to you and they say, that didn't happen. That was all in your head. No, you're overreacting. Imagine. Is someone is is how is someone able to tell them how are they able to come out of that again? They've been shut down. The thing that they were afraid of this entire time happened again. Nobody believed her. So, I didn't talk ever again. I kept my mouth shut for another year. So this is two years now of like silence. I'm not speaking about it of just silent depression, silent suicidal tendencies, silent anxiety, PTSD, everything. I was dealing with everything on my own. All these mental illnesses, I was dealing with it on my own. I didn't get outside support. I didn't get help. I didn't get someone to just vent to. I had nothing. It was all in my head and I had nobody to talk to about at all because I was so ashamed and I completely blamed myself. And you know what? That's why I went wrong. That's, I got the wrong reactions. And that's what I based everything off of. That's what I based my value off of. I just think sometimes had I gotten the correct reaction from the jump, how different would my life be? How happier would I have been? Would I, would this depression ever had developed? Would this PTSD ever developed this far? Like who I no, for, with, without a shadow of a doubt that if I had gotten support in the beginning, that if I had somebody that knew what was going on and somebody that tell me to somebody to tell me, you got sexually assaulted, even though you said yes in the beginning, even though this was somebody that you trusted at one point, even though there was never a time up until the very end where you said no, that was still sexual assault because it was coercion, it was forced, it was manipulation as i said before none of that not a single thing was consensual and you have to take into the take into the fact that i was still a minor like i was 16 at this at this point and if you're a minor point blank period there is no consent if you're a minor there is no consent and i want our listeners to hear that and i want that to drill that into their heads that if you are a minor there is no such thing as consent no matter who it is, even if they're a minor themselves, there's no such thing. Ugh, I just wish somebody had drilled that into my head back then. Maybe then I would have been happier. I don't know. You know, um, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm trying not um, to sound like I'm tearing up here, but um, I'm just, I'm just, um, I'm sad. <laughs> 
Oh my god, I hate when I do this, but it's, it's I'm okay. I'm sad because you know you you were strong enough to you know look past that, you know, and 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 decide for yourself that you were you know valuable, and and you did that by yourself. You know, you somehow like mustered up enough to say, okay, I'm not. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know, really just do and end my life. Like I, I'm, I'm at awe of you for being in this place that you are now, and and you're in a really good place because you're strong enough to, um, see everything for what it is and what it was. And not only that, you're advocating, um, for women to, uh, women and little girls, <laughs> but girls, girls in general, um, about this important conversation about sexual assault and consent, um. And I'm proud of you, you know. <laughs> I don't mean this. I really am proud of you, Sabrine. Um, and I just, for the listeners that are listening, I think um, I, if they take anything from this, I just want them to know, like, and I know you want, I know you want the same for them as well, is that, like, if you experience this, that, you know, it doesn't equal that you're a throwaway um, or that Allah has abandoned you or, you know, like, that you can't, you don't deserve, you know, um, love and mercy or you don't deserve any of that it's so wrong you know it's so wrong it's so wrong and I know a lot of women are and little girls are suffering silently um, every day you know I know there's so many of them and um, I just I don't know what else to say to them but to tell them that they're loved and they're important and they're valuable and, when, and no matter what what anybody says you know Allah sees Allah sees the truth. He knows. He knows. The, the, no matter how many human beings disappoint you and they break your heart or they, you know, wrong you, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not. And he knows everything. And you're valuable to him. Sorry. I'm just like, I just want them to know, Wallahi, like, Allah sees. He sees everything. And um, he will always vindicate you. You know, he'll always stand by you. And he'll always, you know, honor you for your truth. You know what I'm saying? And that his his view is what counts. His view is what's important, not the people, no matter what they say, you know? And um and I just want them to hold on to that and they're not throwaways. They will never, never, never will Allah abandon you. Never will he abandon you. You know, he will never as much as we turn away from him, he'll never he'll never abandon you you know it's like he always is there always and um and he wants good for us and it's just it, it disgusts me um the the lack of you know compassion from even people when somebody comes to you and they say i think this happened to me you know it, it, you know and, I, and alhamdulillah i'm not gonna lie i will say that and we're coming to a new age where women are being believed and women are being seen and women are being, you know, elevated in their truth. And it took a long time to get to this point. We have so much more work to do. But in the in a spiritual sense, I just want them to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives everything. He defends. He's just. He is so just. He is so fair. You know what I'm saying? And that nobody is too far for him. Nobody is damned. Nobody is damned. I don't care what you tell yourself or what those voices. That's not the truth. And Allah is exactly what you think he is. If you think Allah is compassionate, indeed he is compassionate. If you think he is forgiving, indeed he is forgiving. You know, and I just want them to understand that, you know, um, because I know many women, again, are, are in this place and they hide and they're not telling what happened to them. And I understand. And you don't have to either. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing is by. I just want them to take care of themselves, you know, and their mental health and do what's right for them um, and heal however way they can. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, Sabrina, I'm just... I'm in awe of you because I know this was no light ask or easy conversation to have because this is real life for you. And um, I just want you to know that for whoever is touched by your story, I ask a lot to reward you for that. And, um, and they're a heavy weight on your mizan. So um, I'm just so, you know, proud of you. Well, I don't even, you know, I'm we've never so met. I'm sorry. I did not mean to make you cry. No, I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm sad, but I'm also very proud. You know what I mean? Like, they're not all sad tears. It's almost relief, too, because um, 
I just, I just, I really want that to, your message to, to really resonate. Um, nobody is lost. Nobody. If I had, if I had listened to something like this, when I was going through the depths of it, it would not have happened. If I was listening, if I had anybody, even the slightest whiff of validation or anything similar to everything that you just said, mm -hmm. I would not be in the place that I am right now. I would not be as depressed and as suicidal as I was. That would have never happened. I could have avoided all of that pain. I could have avoided all of that trauma. I could have avoided everything bad in my life if I had just had one person, just one person to tell me everything that you just said. I, I just hope that, that we're that one person for somebody I, today. I'm you know? praying, this, is, this is the reason why I sat down and decided to talk about this traumatic experience and open up everything that ha open up about everything that happened to me just so I can be that person for that young girl one day who thinks I am not any less worthy or I am not any less of a woman because of what happened to me not because of what she did because best believe it is not her fault it is not something that she put herself into it is not a position that she put herself into it's something that happened to her I wish somebody would have just <sighs> yeah. I, I hope I'm that person I pray I'm that person and that is the only reason why I'm doing this podcast is so I am this person. Even if it changes one girl's life, even one girl's life, it'll be worth it. All this vulnerability will be worth it because I said before that this is the first, first time that I'm talking about all of this in detail from start to finish in the hopes of maybe it will change some young girl's life the way I wish it would have changed mine. I want listeners to know that Allah is just and the women that get assaulted the women who these horrific things happen to they will get their justice the men that did them that did this to them will face justice in due time they will get what's coming for them in due time Allah will not let your pain and your trauma and your struggles go unnoticed I thought that I was never going to get justice because I never spoke up I I never spoke up out against him because I was just afraid of what his name could do. You know women do not get believed just like that, especially when it comes to the guy's family. The guy's family will believe their son before they believe anybody else. Even me now, even know myself now as educated and as experienced as I am, know that I was right to not speak up, up against, I'm sorry, I can't talk. I was right to not speak up against him. I don't want the point of this to be don't speak up against your abuser. Please do, but only if it is safe for you to do so. Okay, I have a question for, for, for women who don't know if they're in, in relationships with men that are what would what's a, a sign what would you tell your younger self like what would you tell her you know like like things to look maybe things to look out for or in general how you know at that age how we should you know I would say stay away from just first of all boys who are older than me older than you and second of all boys who you know only want physical stuff from you as much as you like them, as much as they give you all the attention in the world or whatever it is that you want from them, it's not it's not worth it in the end. At the end of the day, you're still a minor. Mm -hmm. You're still someone who can very well be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. So just don't even... I, you know these men are not going to stop. You know these boys are not going to stop doing what they do. Mm -hmm. I never want to say, don't put yourself in that position because there's... A girl gets put into that push yeah, position. Yeah. She doesn't put herself into it. Mm -hmm. But you know these men are never ever going to stop being the way they are. So I would say to young girls out there, don't entertain these men. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're a minor. And especially when you know all they want is physical activity from you. The camp, Al-Isra, 
Mm-hmm. It's the summer camp mm-hmm. um, just for Muslim girls. Um, it's just a weekend away at a cabin. It's about 60 or so girls with um, a handful of counselors and um, other staff. And it's just a place for Muslim girls to, you know, unwind, take off their hijab, be in nature, stuff like that. It's very, it's a very, it's a great way to disconnect from reality, basically. And I go every every year. I love it so much. The first time that I ever got validated was at that camp. And to this day, I thank that, I thank them and I thank the women who put it together for doing that for me for validating me because it was genuinely a turning point in my recovery honestly there was not a dry eye in that crowd and i would have never ever in all my years of life i would have never expected that i would have gotten that kind of support every single woman there supported me every single woman there came up to me hugged me and i call that moment the most bittersweet moment of my life purely because the sweetness of finally being able to get everything off my chest and the sweetness of having that support available for me, but also the severe bitterness of afterwards, so many women coming up to me, so many girls coming up to me, telling me, me too, this happened to me too. I feel like you just described what happened to me in my life. I feel like you just literally told my life story i want to say that of course you know all the pain depression all that stuff does not disappear overnight i was still severely depressed but i was happier a little happier knowing that if i needed support it's out there and even after the weekend was over and everybody went home there were still people messaging me um reaching out to me telling me either their stories or telling me how proud they were of me or having hearing how grateful they are for me and it was just it was like I was living in, in a living in an alternate universe I could not believe that this type of stuff could have ever been available to me I also want you to like what, what advice do you have for women who are going through it right now secretly and, and they feel like they have no one what would what, what would you tell them the advice I have for them is to never stop talking about it because the more you talk about it, the lighter the load is on your chest. All I would say is just to be careful of who you tell it to because like I said before, I told the people that were closest to me and I did not get the response that I had that I wanted, but still I wish that I had talked about it more. I wish that I had found somebody else and somebody else, but you also have to remember that your friends are not therapists. They are not mental health professionals. People who are going through this right now silently, no matter how daunting it may seem, please, for the love of God, please, please seek out therapy and seek out somebody who can help you with what you're feeling. Somebody who knows what you're going through and can be that person of support for you. And I want to say that if you need, if you don't have that person in your life right now, if you're yearning for that person who can give you support, I can be that person for you. If you follow the Digital Sisterhood on Insta, please just message them, reach out to them, let them know that you want to talk to me and I'll give them my contact information so that you can come talk to me. I have space for you in my heart. I have knowledge to give. I have experience to share. I can be that person of support Mm -hmm. for you. Even if I'm a stranger to you, I can be that person for you. And that is is on sisterhood, eh? (laughs) That is on sisterhood. That's incredible. So for anybody that's going through it right now and they're really suffering, reach out to us and we'll get you in contact with Sabrina. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that for the sisters who are suffering in silent, that he grants them healing. And I ask Allah Ta'ala to help our community gather around, comfort and protect those who are, you know, those who are vulnerable, those who have, have experienced such, such trauma, such trial, and for us to finally have the conversations that's so long overdue. So long overdue. I mean... 
if um if this podcast has been any useful and help to you and you love it so much inshallah support us uh, by donating and joining our patreon membership inshallah you'll find it on our website at www.thedigitalsterhood.com you can also find it on uh, the patreon www.patreon.com and yeah follow us share and keep us in your du'as. This episode was produced by Beautiful Light Studios. I'd like to give a shout out to our executive producer, Mona Sheikh Omar. Jazakallah khair for allowing us to share this important story today. Um, I also like to give a shout out to our Patreon executive producers um, uh, for sponsoring this episode. Um, thank you guys for listening. And I hope that it was a benefit and of healing and it was useful inshallah um we will attach resources to this episode in our bio inshallah see you guys like every week in your ear in your speaker telling you a good story assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh